Hello and welcome to Sound and Vision, episode 24. And this one is the first of our music profiles. I, as always, am your host, Ian James. And again, I am joined by the brilliant and beautiful and grinning like a Cheshire cat, <laughs> Miss Hope Wade. Hello. Why and am I grinning? Uh, I don't know, it was just a little look I got. Favourite uh, favorite subjects, I think. It is. And as I said, this is a music subject, our first, uh, hopefully the first of many, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, since we're big music fans, but like I've said before, music is so personal and what some people love, a lot of people hate, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, for sure, yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, like when we can talk a little bit here about um, doing this subject, because when we started off um, with the idea to do this podcast, it was always our dream to mouth music and movies yeah and kind of alternate between doing films and music um but it, it, i mean from research and various things that we've done it just appears to be a little bit more difficult with music for various reasons yeah and i think because we can't play the songs on most of it just because for copyright reasons i yeah. think that makes it a little difficult because if you play a song and then somebody's like oh yeah i remember that song you know you talk about it and hopefully we can just project a little bit of the music into the podcast of what we are hoping for and maybe one day i can find a way to get around that copyright issue um, but you know, it's still a personal thing. I think with everybody is music and a lot of people, we try to fit in music into the movies. Cause a lot of the movies we talk about have great soundtracks, yeah, I think. Sure. And yeah. so we try to highlight that with it. Like pretty in pink has one of the best soundtracks, I think. Yeah. When you're talking about people like John Hughes and stuff, yeah, the, the kind of, um, well, and, and, even and, and, we just did Greece and that was still, you know, even yeah. though it's a musical, it's. It's a, it's a vital part of the, the film's ingredients, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, yeah. And of course, you know, the films of Martin Scorsese, Jan yeah. Ashby, Wes Anderson, all kind of really built around, Paul Thomas Anderson even, built mm-hmm. around their kind of source music that they use for their movies, ever than the scores that are written for yeah. movies. Um, so music is, a, 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 a you know, a massive part of a movie. So to do, to do a standalone subject of music yeah. is pretty much what we're doing today yeah um and some of our favorite bands yeah Yeah. and this is as i mentioned this is episode 24 and Mm -hmm. this is for the first subject joy division slash new order yes i think they both need to come together (laughs) (laughs) yes people need to stop separating them um which we'll discuss i know because they're so you know they're fans they're die hard on joy division like they just will not budge on new order and some say oh i like some new order but joy division is like the be all end all of you know everything and it's like well they made what two albums which you know was very good albums i think more importantly as well there was four members mm-hmm. of the band <laughs> Joby. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't lost. the ian curtis show exactly and i think that gets lost because you know as much as we love ian curtis you know writing and on joy division and his music uh, the three members brought that band together, you know, like he just sung 
the music and wrote it and the, well, the other, lyrics yeah the lyrics and um the other yeah the, there wouldn't be a band without the other members That's, we're gonna try and try and rectify today yes. i will say as well on this because um jason reed who i know mm-hmm. listens to these he, he's kind of said that if we do a music profile i must do the beatles oh, okay okay yeah. Which is a massive subject. Oh, yeah. Um, despite only being together eight years, yeah. it's, it's, it's too big. But we'll see what happens. Anyway, for here and now then, um, this is yeah, this is Joy Division in the Water. So first of all, because I know, not only did we pick this as mm-hmm. our first subject, for the simple fact that they are incredibly well-liked groups um, mm-hmm. that have a you know, massive following, cult or, or any other following for that matter. Um, and I know you're a really big fan of mm-hmm. New Order, yes. your favorite group. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, groups. It's official. Howay's favorite group yeah. of all time. Um, so yeah, just first of all, do you remember being really honest? Do you remember hearing Joy Division or New Order first? New Order. Yeah. Because I was at the time when Pretty in Pink came out. I was probably eleven when that movie came out, and I probably I saw it. It was all over the radio. Uh, OMD. I mean, that soundtrack is just amazing. It had OMD, Psychedelic Furs, Echo and the Bunnymen, and of course, New Order. You know, Thieves Like Us is still yeah, a great fun. song. Um, so it just, that is where I think I fell in love. I got out of my glam rock stage after that because I was <laughs> so like, I was in my glam or like in my hair band, I should say the hair, the hair band, hair metal, hair 80s metal, eighties hair, hair metal. And, you know, growing up in the eighties, that's what we were, you know, I still had my eighties pop music that I was loving, you know, Cindy Lauper, Madonna and all that. And then the hair. Um, so do you stuff. think? Do you think but this New was Order the, right there? I was I was gone. I was you, a goner. Do you think this is a, like New Order? Then were a gateway into alternative music for you? Of course, yes. Yeah. Even before the Cure, before any of that, I was exposed to because you know I was only twelve, eleven, twelve, like when I first heard it. So it, I was exposed to it at that age. That's when I started getting into my gothy, I guess, music. You know, listen to more of the Cure and Susie and. Depeche Mode and all that stuff. So I was, you know, uh, that's what turned me was New Order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, it makes perfect sense. Where, mm-hmm. did, where along the line then? Where, where kind of, where did you kind of discover that they were a group created from the ashes of? Oh, not of until food? later. I think probably not until I was in high school, maybe, okay. um, because we didn't have the internet then. So I mean, if I, I probably read it in the in music, maybe in. Um, you know, I was in junior high, high school, somewhere like that. So books, magazines, music, Mu- music magazines. papers. Yeah. yeah, music magazines were the thing back then. Yeah. So it's probably I found out through there that they were, uh, the other three members went on and did New Order. Yeah. Which I didn't know, you know, when I first, I think I started listening to Joy Division when I was like 13, 14. So that came a couple years later. Did that come as a surprise? Did you, did, did like, was it a surprise that you are in a totally different yeah, but then or when is, I, or is it that different? I mean, it's not because when you go and listen to it, like you know, Peter Hook is still have that same, you know, they still have that same sound. I think just a little bit different. Bernard took it to a different level. I think. Yeah. Which I I, I adore him. I still adore him, and it's my dream to be now that I'm in England to go and see New Order. I just wish they would come back together, like all with of the them. original members. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Can I just point out? I did see him. In 1998. I know, I know you did. Just I'm to, jealous. Just to rub it in. Um, okay. Who was your first? Was it 
Joy Division or New Order. Um, New Order. Yeah. Just because it was radio friendly, wasn't it? It was. And I remember hearing singles on the radio mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, this is, this is a group from the 80s called New Order. And then I went on a whole, <laughs> me and my sister really went, we were kind of into music together and we, mm-hmm. and we kind of pushed bands to each other, like you said, pre-internet or anything like that, growing up. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a very musical ex anyway. Um, music from all over. My mm-hmm. two sisters and my dad. Um, so music was always there. But the, the punk thing, yeah. was my thing yeah. you know, that was something I feigned for myself mm-hmm. and I had a shared love with my sister then and then it was kind of through that that we discovered while digging through all those bands that there was a band called Joy Division and it was like oh it's basically New Order before they become New Order and that was of interest to me straight away mm-hmm. um, being a fan and, and I've always been a fan of both I slightly side towards New Order for, for reasons I may give later on um, but yeah Joy Division are you know pioneers I suppose in some way of, of that kind of cold wave new wave kind of thing that they did which was distinctly theirs I guess um, yeah. just to take the story back then to the beginning um, Joy Division were um, formed I won't say formed officially but they kind of came together in 1976 in Salford which a lot of people because they were always known as like a Manchester group but mm-hmm. Salford is a place just slightly outside Manchester which a lot of people seem to forget this okay. um, but you know they're still pushed in with, with those groups of that time mm-hmm. and being one of the first and in 1976 um, Peter Hook and Bernard Sumner who, was, who were friends went to watch the Sex Pistols which is this this famous selection of concerts that the Sex Pistols did during 1976 and particularly the one in Manchester is are said to inspire loads of groups to form and there's another myth that oh we the Ramones had the same effect or that the Ram- you know, basically Morris you've seen the Ramones or something and then you know I always wanted to be a pop singer and, and there's and all this kind of thing and I always think it's I still think it's the Sex Pistols and those gigs from 76 because I know Paul Weller would agree and, and every everyone else who was at those gigs every devoto mm-hmm. who started off the first uh, buzzcocks and stuff so that gig in Manchester inspired um, friends Hook and Summoner and it inspired Peter Hook to go and buy a bass guitar oh nice um, so he didn't start learning until he was 20 which there's hope for it there's <laughs> I hope know, for I just, you I always kind of think that you should be paid in your teens um, but okay no it's never too late yeah what's that song dreams never end yeah well <laughs> this would never began um, in this room um, okay so oh god doom and gloom here <laughs> you're perfect for the subject um, so yeah they, they formed a band um, hooked up with Ian Curtis who who would join them. It was also present at that Sex Pistols gig, but kind of met them later mm-hmm. to form a band inspired by punk. And I think Ian Curtis brought the first whole kind of influences to the other two then. was telling them about things, uh, literature and stuff that he was reading and bands he was since he was very... I mean, Ian Curtis is just very kind of... I'm, I can imagine being very difficult to be around. <laughs> in, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he was a bit of a one-off, really. And and so... Kind yeah. of like Morrissey, I would assume. <laughs> <laughs> possibly um but yeah so he formed with hook and mm-hmm. some kind of basically before they were known as joint division and they were originally called warsaw yeah which came from a david bowie track um which was an, uh, an instrumental david bowie track from the heroes album yeah probably because of their shared love of bowie mm-hmm. um and also this whole german thing that Ian yeah. seemed to be interested in yeah. you know we would like literature of franz kafka and various German kind of influences that he had mm-hmm. um, in terms of not just literature but in music as well because I know he's a big fan of Neo in, in craft work and stuff. Yeah, which he had that same look of the pants and the shirts, the working kind yeah, of... Yeah, factory class. work, a kind yeah. of industrial yep. uh, German. Yeah, like you said, he kind of adapted that whole 
kind yeah. of persona, that kind of working between machinery and, and people, mm-hmm. which shaped the original Joy Division. And I must also add that um, Stephen Morris was the last member to join, by the way. Oh, okay. So a couple of drummers before him, mm-hmm. so people know. And then they changed their name to Joy Division because that was suggested by Ian Curtis from a book he was reading called House of Dolls, which mm-hmm. is a 1955 book. And then Joy, Joy Division being the concentration camp um, that the German soldiers would go kind of a, a brothel then. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, a German brothel. So yeah, that's that's basically where the name of the band came from. And then that led them to go and record, um, when they finally gathered enough money in 1978 to do their first EP, which they self-produced themselves, which is an ideal for living, which is the first recording of Joy Division. Which had a Nazi kind of, I thought I had a Hitler cover or something. I'm trying to draw them from memory here because, like, it's, I mean, we don't kind of research these whole things trying to draw what memory of what that single cover looked like now, um, which again f- falls in with what they were doing at that point um, and the kind of image that they were putting out there, which kind of distanced them from uh, critics who were at the time then who were trying to discover this band and seeing them as fascists and stuff, which I could no kind of. Made it must have made it very difficult to kind of make a break for it with that kind of iconography for your sleeves and your band name and stuff. Um, and things changed for this band when they did, um, they famously did a gig up in Manchester, I think that if I remember correctly, you now Tony Wilson, who was TV personality at home, did the So It Goes show and mentioned it was American, um, English journalist then. He was present, and I think Rob Gretton, who was really key to the success of both of these bands, in my opinion, um, was DJing at the club that night. And they got into an alteration with what was what we now know as Joy Division, and, um, and an argument with Ian Curtis saying that we, we should have featured us on your show, uh, you should put us on your show. And I think Tony Wilson was quite taken back by that, and he said, well, I'll put you on my next show then, if, you know, if you're good enough, kind of thing. And Gretton, who was overhearing this conversation, was like, I like these guys, you know, they're quite spunky, he got like a kind of desire then to, to be better. Mm-hmm. Decided to manage him, pretty much that night he said I'll take you on and I'll manage you which is perfect for them because I, I can't stress how much Gretton did for that band yeah um, and obviously Tony Wilson kind of gave him like, a real start as well to give him a shot at a kind of appearance on his show mm-hmm. kind of help financially set up where they were going from there onwards so that was kind of birth of Joy Division so within the meeting of those certain people and also Martin Hannett the record producer who's majorly key again to this band um, in my opinion although there's a interesting debate on uh, I think Peter Rook and Bernard Sermoner was never I don't, from what I've read and this is all hearsay so this is not fact but I, they always were not pleased with what he produced on those records they mm-hmm. always said it didn't sound like what they wanted to originally do okay. which is a massive thing though, because Martin Hannett is one of the most respected music producers you know probably of all time so to disagree um, with what he has to say uh, or, or his productions because I know big fans of these groups your friend included mm-hmm. um, Eve who should mention here is yeah. a big fan of these bands yes. I remember her like you know saying oh they're Martin on it you know what a fantastic producer and stuff and yeah I, I totally agree myself but you know, Vernon Sumner and Hooky were was like oh no he got it so wrong and it, you know kind of softened our sound or whatever um, which that makes an interesting debate um, a bit, maybe that's just musicians playing up I don't know um, yeah so when they finally got to recording their first album uh, Unknown Pleasures Mm-hmm. which is now obviously a considered Stone Cold classic from yeah. 1979 produced by Martin Hannett which I think as far as I know made number 5 in the charts I mean, it charted anyway high for mm-hmm. the album um, they, I mean they only, think they only released like 3 singles in yeah. there I mean they were only together like what 2 and a half years Yeah. so it wasn't time to achieve so much which again is really of interest to me just for the simple fact that they're such a wow loved respected admired group mm-hmm. and yet their recorded output is so little I mean 
two albums and an EP and a handful of singles. That's all it was. It's good songs, though. I mean, great music. Yeah, um, it's just interesting to think someone with such little output is, is so, like, really High regarded. highly regarded, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Unknown Pleasures become this, this cult from 79, which we now know is this classic album, including the Peter Saville um, artwork for it, which is you'll see on a million mugs and t-shirts everywhere. Now, which yeah, is kind of I know, it's even bizarre. on tennis shoes and yeah. everything. <laughs> which is really Skirts. bizarre. I want and I'm, Which is cool. I mean, I wanted to put a shout out for Peter Saville as well. He was one of my favourite graphic designers ever. Mm-hmm. Um, just fantastic work that he did for Factory Records, which is the record label um, owned by Tony Wilson, which eventually signed um, Joy Division, and of course is responsible for New Order and Jury uh, T. Collar and all these and the certain ratio and all these bands, uh, Happy Ma- early Happy Mondays and stuff. So it's a good, like a you know, really credible record label that has um, it was a very iconic record label. And Peter Saville designed a lot of the sleeves and artwork for that label. And I just want to mention this because this is totally off the subject for a second, but it always makes me laugh. Is that he, <laughs> there's an album by the Jury T. Column, and I'm not sure which album of theirs is, which for anyone who doesn't know, it was a man from Manchester built around Vinnie Riley. He basically is. He is Jerry Collins, it's just him really, and he's a fantastic guitar player that he is. Anyway, he made this album, and the sleeve design was, because obviously back in vinyl days, mm-hmm. pre-cassette, the sleeve for it was made of sandpaper, mm-hmm. a sandpaper sleeve. So basically, you would put that album in oh among God, the other ones, scratch and it was scratched it. on purpose. Oh. It's like a punk rock idea, like it, oh was, like it would wreck the other ones. So basically, when you by the time you stuck it anywhere you can in your record collection, it would be the only record that you've got left to play. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always thought that was a really gimmicky but funny yeah. idea. No, yeah, I would be angry. No, not sandpaper sleeve. No. Okay. Um, I'll pass. I thought it was great. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love gimmicky sleeves like that back in the day. But it's gonna ruin your other stuff. I know, but it's just so funny. No. It's punk rock. No, um, not really. <laughs> it's dumbass. It's jackassery for me. I'm not going to argue with Peter Saville. <laughs> um, okay, so that album then, which then kind of shaped what we think of them sounding like now, obviously, um, built on those influences of Ian Curtis, which it do include um, The Doors, who was a big Jim Morris fan. Um, also, Icky Pop, Iggy and the Stooges, Dave Bowie, Kraftwerk, you, you know. You, and I think those influences kind of come from, but, but they kind of shape their own sound out of those influences, because I think they were very distinct Joy Division had a very distinct saying, which is not really like anybody else. I, yeah. have, to say, I have to give them credit for yeah. that. Um, a little bit rough around the edges, but that adds to the appeal mm-hmm. of it. And so, yeah, just taking all those kind of early Roxy music, just taking those kind of ideas and forming their own thing, which they were, like I said, but it's just so sh- it was so short-lived. Um, and, of course, in 1980, the following year, Martin Allen produced again the, the, the follow-up Closer, mm-hmm. which was the last recorded work of, um, certainly of Ian Curtis then, and then of Joy Division as a group, which I know to this day is considered better than Unknown Pleasures. How do you feel about that? I love it. I do. I think I like a lot of songs on Closer. Closer. Is I it a better both. album, though? Uh, don't put me in this position. I think it may be. You know what? Second time around is always good. Because first time, you're just kind of starting out. Second album, it just gets better. Just like a, a movie sometimes. Sometimes but, the first one isn't as good. and then Or a season, I should say. Not a movie. A season of a television show is always starting out kind of rough. And then second season, it, it tightens up. But sometimes you can peak too soon as well. There's certain bands that have put everything into a first album and they just didn't and just had nothing to go for with a second album. Yeah. And you kind of go, oh, they made such a good first album. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sometimes it could be. Sometimes. But I did like Closer. I like a lot of songs on Closer. Yeah. I also remember reading once, it's a bit of trivia for some people, that George Michael named it as like his favourite album of all time. Really? 
<laughs> which uh, the music and the kind of idea has no bearing on George Michael's musical career whatsoever. Mm. But I don't know. Maybe you know. I mean, he, he had a um, dark sort of persona that he kept away from the public. So I don't know. But I always been finding that really interesting. Like someone like that would pick that as an album. Yeah. And as I mentioned, that was the final album. Um, obviously, because of Ian Curtis sadly suffering from depression, committing suicide. Um, yeah. During that year, then and after his death, Love Will Tear Us Apart. Yeah. was released as a single. So mm-hmm. it's not on that album, which a lot of people, I don't know, know or don't know, but which is the kind of song there which kind of cements a reputation. Is the one song I suppose everyone remembers. It's like the only song, yeah. which is really annoying that most people remember. It. Yet the words Love Will Tear Us Apart were on he and Curtis's um, tombstone or is it his plaque yeah. of death mm-hmm. then those kind of words are on on that I mean because I mean we could we could sit and talk about his whole personal life here but it would yeah but, I mean it's just no <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean I mean I could do a whole spiel on that um, Touching From a Distance the book by Deborah Curtis which I think is the it for me personally then is is the be end of what you need to know right because yeah. I know there's films made on this subject and they, <laughs> There's Control, then, I should say, which was made on the subject, um, which was directed by Anton Corbin. I can never say his name. He's a Dutch photographer or something. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because his photographs of the band from the day Mm -hmm. when they were, you know, being interviewed by music magazines and music press and stuff, and the the black and white iconography of those photos, it's funny, though, because that's the way we see that band. Yeah. Because of the famous black and white photographs by him. So when he got to finally go in, he directed music videos as well, but when he finally directed Control, the movie, Movie then it just seemed like a perfect person to direct that movie yeah. because he was the one who took his original photographs mm-hmm. and because of that he shot the movie in black and white yes which because in our i don't know somewhere in our subconscious somewhere i, I just think of Drew division existing in a black and white world yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it's like manchester during 1978 dark, was, was black and white yeah <laughs> because of those photos kind of world those pictures were even dark like because they were always sitting in like a basement it looked like or (laughs) or a tunnel uh, or or a bridge or or, yeah some kind of abandoned building Um, uh, they were always in so that's what you think of oh yeah and he i mean he was the perfect guy to shoot that movie Mm -hmm. i think it was 2009 control i forget now but he but he had shot music videos for echo and the bunny man u2 depeche mode he was very much off that scene anyway Um, yeah it's a perfect guy to direct the movie yeah it was good Um, i liked it it was a good movie yeah but Mm -hmm. what i was trying to say is it misses so much of the from the book, book which mm-hmm. is, is the source material for the movie and i know deborah curtis who obviously ian's widow yes um although they were kind of going for a divorce at the time that he died um mm-hmm. or, or setting you know the wheels were in motion for a divorce and he was at the still time. so young wasn't <clears throat> he he was only 23 wasn't 23 he? yeah Jeez, um just so young to you know be married and going through divorce and you know it happens hard, it, doesn't it? yeah um so yeah, basically what I wanted to say is that even though it's based on her book and she give it her blessing, the movie, mm-hmm. it does miss so many details from that book, which are very crucial, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And it's almost, I mean, all I want to say about this is it almost feels like they wanted to kind of soften the blow of what Ian Curtis was. It's like they don't want to destroy the myth that mm-hmm. the fans who wear the t-shirts and put up the posters have got about him. Mm-hmm. And I think the film just uh, skirts around a few of the edges to keep him iconic. Yeah. When, you know, I mean, everyone's got faults. And I just think the book touches more on those kind of things. And it's, I don't think you got the whole story from the movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say any more than that, really, um, because it, that, is, again, is a whole different debate. And it is a fantastically well-made movie, but the book is so much better, is what yeah. I'm going to say. And the reasons for what he did and the reasons behind those are 100% more better. Um, closely looked at in the book. 
So my tip to anyone, I'm sure if you're a Joy Division fan, you definitely would have already read it. But if you haven't, Touching by a Distance by Deborah Curtis is a good place to pick up to understand what was going on in his personal life to influence some of those decisions. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that when he did commit suicide at the family home Mm -hmm. that he went back to the evening on the night before, I think they were due to go on an American tour. They were just on the crest that first go into America, which is something I know scared Ian Curtis um, had a real thing about flying and stuff. He even, he even suggested to the record label that they take a boat to yeah. America so he didn't have to get on a plane. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so unfortunately for the other guys, they were just starting to make that kind of breakthrough, yeah. um, which was cemented by the Love of Terrace Apart single that came out later in the year. So I felt sorry for those guys, really. Do you know what I mean? They mm. formed this band among friends. We're just getting somewhere. And then the pivotal kind of front man and co-songwriter does that and kind of jeopardizes the rest friend. of them yeah, there's yeah. A bit of a mi- but there's mixed feelings on this because peter hook mm-hmm. it was an incredible character apparently um you look very hooky today i say <laughs> yeah i'm not sure what to say about that um maybe i need a shave or, pro- or maybe that i look 10 years older than i actually am which is what i think of peter hook. um just the simple fact that he apparently when he was told that ian curtis had died yeah so the so the myth goes. I'm, I'm not even sure if he's owned up to this or not. Someone sent the record that he was eating like a Sunday roast or something. And someone rang him up and said, "Oh," it, and told him on the phone, and he kind of went, "Yep, yeah, okay." Put the phone down, sat back down, carried on eating his dinner. And someone said, "Oh, what was that about?" And he said, "Oh, Ian Curtis, stupid sod, killed himself. Just carried on eating." Mm. Peter Rook, Mis- yeah. Mr. Heartless. Um, allegedly. allegedly. No, I think it's I think it's a true one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, strange guy, completely. Um. And yeah, but Bernard Sumner was definitely the last guy from the band to talk to him. And didn't they, I mean, again, I want to touch on this. Because mm-hmm. didn't they do like a hypnosis session? Or Bernard Sumner did a hypnosis session with just him and Ian Curtis. And they recorded. St- and he was saying stuff like he'd lived a former life. Yeah. And it was on the tape recorder. I and, think so. And he was just saying random stuff. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember something like that. Which I is, could is have. yeah, it's just a morbid. Um, side of me coming out there. <laughs> yeah, so that's very interesting. So yeah, so unfortunately for the other three, it was going to pick up the pieces um, mm-hmm. in 1980 into 81, where they made a pact as a group when they started out, mm-hmm. um, just simply saying that if one member ever left the band for whatever reason, that mm-hmm. they would disband with the band name and everything, um, which is exactly what they did. Um, but Rob Gretton, as I mentioned earlier on, he was their manager and a, a pivotal point of pushing this group on and was very supportive to um, Deborah Curtis while Ian, mm-hmm. while Ian was busy having his affairs and messing around, mm-hmm. um, even though he had a child at home. Rob Gretton was supplying money for his, his for Deborah, looking after him, mm-hmm. doing the dad bit, and he hated all the lying because Ian Curtis was all lie to her for me, don't tell her this, don't tell her that, and Graham was like, I ain't doing that, you know what I mean, it's your family. Mm-hmm. And Gretton still looked after them years after Ian died. He'd still send them money and stuff. Yeah. So he was a good top guy. You know, and most people who ever know him said he was very straight talking, isn't that? Mm-hmm. He was an all round good guy. So yeah, he kind of said to the other guys, you know, let's keep going. You know, this, we can work through this kind of thing, which is it's just, it's almost shocking to think that any band would survive that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did soldier on the three of them. And then they had to decide one of them had to sing. So apparently, so the rumour goes, that they took it in turn singing and none of them were particularly that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bernard Sumner was the only one that had an half-decent voice. Yeah. And But the trouble is he couldn't play guitar and sing at the same time. Yeah. Apparently he was so say. Um, and so it became decided that he would sing. And then they were joined by Stephen Morris's girlfriend at that time, Gillian mm-hmm. Gilbert, who then forms what we now know as New Order. Um, she was already playing in an all-girl punk band. Oh, really? And they already knew Joy Division. Um, yeah. Apparently, they often because they were recording in the place next to them when they were Joy Division, they would often get lifts back 
mm-hmm. from um, Peter or whoever was driving would okay. give him a lift back. Yeah. Um, and would tell him that they have to buy the Joy Division singles for a lift. That's how the myth goes. Um, and around about that time, she started seeing Stephen, the yeah. drummer, and they got together. And Still she, married today? Came, yes, they? married now, yeah, and everything, yeah. kids and all sorts. The whole caboodle. Yeah. Um, which is one of rock music's sweet, sweet stories. Yeah. And I love them. I love them as a couple. Yeah. I think they're great. And I'm sure they had a side project somewhere in the late 80s. Did which they? I admit, yeah, because Bernard Sumner obviously joined up with Johnny Marr from the Smiths and they formed Electronic. You know, mm-hmm. you'll love this. Um, I'm sure, I'm pretty damn sure that Gillian Gilbert mm-hmm. and Steven? Stephen Morris had a side project called The Other Two. In, <laughs> <laughs> meaning that like, the two you don't know their names. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I thought the the other two. Yeah, no, I thought she was great in New Order. She yeah, mega cool. Yeah, because yeah. she was like the girl next door, and that's what added to the appeal of it. Do you know what I mean? I really like that. Yeah. Okay, so the the name New Order mm-hmm. um, came from a newspaper article, apparently, mm-hmm. which Rob Gretton was reading. I think Gretton gave him the name New Order, and there's a whole myth that it was like, oh, New Order was another like German type thing on Joy Division or, and into the New Order, mm-hmm. that, which is absolutely rubbish. But that's the rumor that's always been put out there, but apparently not. Yeah. Um, confirmed by Rob Grant that it was taken from a article. So yeah, for them then it was picking up what was left of the demos from, from Joy Division, um, Semeroni, um, which had already was a Joy Division track and had been aired live at a few gigs, but hadn't been properly recorded. Um, but a bootleg of that turns up on Still, which mm-hmm. was a compilation of uh, Joy Division recordings that featured B sides and stuff, which is almost like Factory Records trying to cash in on their main asset dying, yeah. sadly. But Joy Division picked it up, re recorded it with Bruno Summer on vocals. And so the first thing you say about New Order is it came in, a, um, in 1981 on the, off the back of the Semarani single, then with their first album, Movement, mm-hmm. um, which I believe reached 30 in the album charts. So it was your first album, first established coming out only a year after Ian's death. I know, I know a lot of people got angry about that, that they moved on, thought it was horrible of them to move on so quickly, but what are they supposed to do? Exactly. And that's the attitude apparently I've read from the band that they said. What were they supposed to do? That was their life that they were building also. And even though I'm sure it was hard for them to lose, you know, a friend and a partner, they had to keep going, you know, just like yeah. anybody does. You have to keep going. And um, I, I think it was bad of people to, you know, make them feel bad for moving on so quickly, I think, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and this, this, I mean, this this will bring us into that the topic of conversation that we discussed right at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, that with the first album, which, you know, didn't chart that highly. And I mean, I'll be really honest, even as a New Order fan, I, for me, it's a distinctly average album. And it still mm-hmm. feels like a Joy Division it album. It does. It sounds like Joy Division. Yeah, I because think. I think they were still trying to find their own kind of yeah. thing, but they, were, mm-hmm. they didn't want to alienate the audience that they kind of already had. And I yeah. understand why they would do that. Um, I think it was a perfect transition album into but you get what of, comes but Yeah, but you get later. a lot of Joy Division fans who say that's the only new order on my life. I know it is, isn't it? And I think, what's that about? It's more Joy Division, isn't it? Yeah. Almost, almost. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'll say it now. I don't think, as a lyricist, I don't think Bernard Summer was ever up to Ian Curtis as a lyricist. And I don't, you know, I'll give Ian Curtis no. credit for that point. As yep. a lyricist, mm-hmm. I don't think any of those guys can match him as a lyricist. No. But musically, which is what we should concentrate on, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the absolutely spot on. Like, I'm going to borrow a word from him. And I hate the fact that, it, do you know what I mean? That everyone hated it after mm-hmm. Ian Curtis. just really kind of annoys me. Yeah. Um, I love New Order. Yeah. And, and their second album's my favourite. Power Corruption Lies. Yes. Yeah. Which is the, the album that they released in 1983. And it kind of breaks the band mm. to a degree and gives the band its first, I think that one reached number four. 
Okay. So it's a you know from the from like you know a couple of years previous yeah yeah you're in a top five band now. yeah and I think it was the first time that Bernard Sumner was allowed to sing as himself mm-hmm. like allowed to just express his own voice and not try and be Ian Curtis do you know what I mean yeah um, and yeah it's their first great album and, mm-hmm. it, and it is a fantastic album um, we should add doesn't um, Peter Hook sing on Movement isn't there a, one song on there that he does or am I thinking of something else no I don't think <sighs> I think he might be but I could be wrong. No, I think so. I think he's the only person to put a vocal on it in those albums I've been Bernard Sumner. I know Gillian does a few bits of backing vocal and we can yeah. whisper a few lines here and there, yeah. but I don't think anyone else really gets in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paralyzed Corruption is... Perfection. Yeah, and I'll, I'll need to add as well, it's the first album, right, that is actually produced by the band themselves. So oh, Martin okay. Annett did Movement. Oh, we'll see, there So you still had your Joy Division producer. Mm-hmm. So the Joy Division links were all there. Like, for me, really, as when I would say this to anyone who's kind of discovering New Order for the first time, well, I don't know why, but if you are, mm-hmm. that's the place to start for me. I'd forget yeah. Movement to a degree. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't really mean, but if you want to kind of yeah. understand what New Order, I think we start, yeah, that's where you, that's where you start. Because mm-hmm. um, it's the first album, like I said, they produced this out. Martin Annett was out of the picture by this point now, which I, I was, like I said, Hook and Summer always had a thing about that, that they, I don't know, I don't think they ever really agreed with those earlier recordings as much. I think Ian Curtis had more faith in it than they did. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, before we keep going with the New Order story, um, you do get those kind of fans of Joy Division as well who kind of say, oh, you know, Oh, it's just a completely different thing. It's a completely new thing. I mean, what's your feelings on that? I mean, do you think that if Joy Division had carried on, mm-hmm. it would have kind of resembled New Order anyway? Or, is it, or do you just think it would have been... Because so, well, what the hell would it have been? Well, if they would have left that producer behind, but, obviously but, they sounded different after. But Closer. Say, say they were making their album after Closer. Mm-hmm. But what would they have sounded like? I think, you know, as time goes on, I think they would have transitioned into more electronic, New Order, uh, Yeah, because you can, always, because, like, because you can hear elements in Closer that were going to become, you know, basically what New Order did become. Songs such as Isolation, um, 24 Hours. There's just things on there. That, there's just elements of that album that sound like the, the electronic at heart and soul. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's just things on there that I think it was going that direction. Yeah, definitely. And Because and, music was evolving exactly. at that time. Yeah. And so I think it, they would have definitely sounded different. Um, they, I, mean, whether, I mean, whether they would have, you know, been been that full on pop saying that New Order did become I mean, that's debatable. But this yeah. certainly, but it certainly would have been going that way. I know I can't see Ian Curtis being poppy. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> he probably would have dropped out by then. Uh, yeah, maybe um, write some book or something. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so Power Corruption is the greatest starting point, and it is an album that came out in 1983, did very well, and has the blueprint on that, doesn't it? There's a track on that album I remember because it's a while since I listened to it. That is basically the bare bones. Blue Monday, which is the big single that broke him in this country, and I think was the biggest selling twelve inch single in, in in the UK for years. Mm-hmm. Is it five eight? There's like a five eight six. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is basically Blue Monday. Yeah, before Blue Monday. Yeah. Um. So you know. So I mean that and Temptation and a couple of singles in that year that were really pushing that band yeah. to become something so far removed yeah. from um Joy Division. I think and it was also the year um, 1982. Then the Hacienda nightclub opened up, which was funded by New Order Factory Records. Um, mm-hmm. Which and the only reason I mention it is because I think it's got a big bearing that that club culture that creeped into music mm-hmm. um, in sort of the early 82, 83. Then had a big impact on where New Order would would finally go with their sound. Because I remember them saying, or I remember Peter Hook saying that they toured. Uh, America, a lot of clubs in like New York and stuff, um, where they were like kind of soaking up club culture and what was happening in these clubs. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you've almost got that precursor to like the all ecstasy late eighties, early nineties thing. It was already starting. Mm-hmm. 
after they finish Power of Corruption Lies and yeah. with having their own nightclub, as I mentioned, in Manchester. Um, which takes them into their next album, Low Life and Brotherhood, which is their two mid-80s albums that really are soaking up the dance culture. And I think this is maybe then where the pure Joy Division fans drop off yes. because they really didn't want them to do that. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's it's the most logical thing for them to do mm-hmm. is to kind of embrace a culture and, yeah. you know, and, and kind of incorporate that in their own sound. And again, these are all self-produced albums. I mean, I keep adding in the order, we're producing all their own albums at this point. And there's lots of different mixes, isn't there, of these singles that they put out, um, which were all collected for the 1987 uh, Substance? compilation Substance. Yeah. I love that album. Which is fantastic. Yeah. Which was my introduction to the order. Uh, yeah. I loved it. It was like my high school, uh, just, it had all the good songs on there, you know? Yeah, well, I don't think singles, didn't it, as, as, you, yeah. as you know them. Um, yeah, and it was always the place I kind of came in on it, and it was like, oh. Yeah. And there was little things like, um, is everything's gone green? Which yeah, I kind yeah. of, I forget, I forgot, love you know, we kind of forget if it wasn't for that compilation. Mm-hmm. So. Bizarre Love Triangle, uh, Ceremony was my one of my favorite songs, which was actually a Joy, a Joy Division, Division song. song. Yeah. yeah, and everybody's like, oh, I like Joy Division better. It doesn't matter. I like New Order's better version. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, that's my opinion. And so, yeah, so this, this commercial streak opened up um which you know as we mentioned came together with substance and, and the single that went with that album then was true faith mm-hmm. um which is one of the highest selling and probably most played and probably most recognized new order songs um definitely in this country yeah um which accompanied the album in 1987 then um and a little, just a little bit of trivia on this one is the, the b-side to that al- to that single i should say was um, 1963 i love that song which i prefer <laughs> yeah to, to um to true faith would it have the same commercial appeal no no but it's just a great b-side i don't want to mention that because i think it's i just want to i just love that song and no no one ever mentions it I know. I have to mention that we listen to, uh, we stream a Detroit DJ that plays, you know, all of our favorite music. And that was a song that she played yesterday on the top of her list. Uh, Chris- yeah. Christina Rocks, I think, is her um, website, ChristinaRocks.com. And uh, Time Warp with Christina is just good. I yeah. I give a shout out to her. Especially if you like plays, this kind of music. Yeah, if you like this kind of music, you have to listen to her. And she, that was the top of the show was 1963. And it's yeah. like a... But it was just weird because we were talking about doing this show before we listened to it, weren't we? Yeah. And then weirdly that song was mm-hmm. prophetic that it came out. Yeah. As a kind of sailor, then we kind of made the decision to do this. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Ryder did success of those big singles and the one-off single from 1987, which is um, Touched by the Hand of God, mm-hmm. um, which is an, a great air metal homage video. Yeah. Which we see, which I only seen recently for the first time the other day. Uh, I think you were showing me. Yeah. Where they were kind of imitating, like they were Van Halen or something for the video, which is just bizarre. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow as well, by the way. She's the first woman to win the Oscar for Best Picture for The Hurt Locker. And oh. right about that time, we would have done Near Dark and stuff. It's just funny thinking that she would have directed that video, but they were spending so much time in America at that point because, like I said, New Order have a big following in America, as you as, as hope will tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, like, P- Peter Rook had a side kind of thing going on at that point he was DJing clubs mm-hmm. um, which is which he said was fantastic and he I always remember this quote of him just saying that the amount of American people that would come up to him while he was DJing and just constantly request 80s English music he just said it was just incredible he said the guys are obsessed yeah in America you're just obviously. obsessed with English music and it's funny because game. when we do listen to that streaming show you're like oh it's all English music and it's like well yeah because that's what we love is <laughs> I know I think even Peter Rook was just like really do you we love, love, do you love us that much yeah um, yeah we do I, I don't know why but you guys have great music just like Americans have great movies and the English have great music and we also have some great movies too <laughs> um. <laughs> not as much as America come uh, on we got Hollywood here come on I don't care. Um, <laughs> Just accept it. <laughs> no, you accept, accept it. Accept it. 
<laughs> accept it and move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Roy did a successful couple of singles and that album took him into Technique in 1989, which was a really club mm-hmm. um, dance-oriented album. And personally, uh, possibly my favourite New Order album as well, by the way. Just incredibly something that was nothing else to me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And Vanishing Point is on that album, which is like my favourite New Order track. Yeah. And also Round and Round and Run, and there's loads of good tracks on that album. I think that's a really standout one. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, self-produced by those. And then was that, like, that's all... The following year they did, which I, only, I showed you this the other day as well, didn't I? The World in Motion. You never knew this existed, did you? No. This is when they teamed up with the English football team to do an anthem, which got to number one, and it's the only number one the New Order have ever had in this country. That's just sad. It's, that's sad You loved me. it. No. You loved it. Oh, it was awful. No. No wonder we didn't hear of it, because we didn't care about that. Because you, yeah, because it was an English thing, and we, and we were good that year. We had, we had a good run at the World Cup. That year, okay. Okay, well, and last year, got to the semis, uh, or the year before. Um, also, John Barnes, he was an uh, English football player, did a rap on that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear it? No. No. Okay. And then that was the last kind of activity for a couple of years. But I mean, a number one single, you mm-hmm. know, top five selling albums. And then they did their last album for that, for the classic period, I call it, mm-hmm. which was Republic in 93, which is a four-year like gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was be- because Factory Records had foded at this point, which I should mention, that technically came out in 1989. And by this point, all these albums released on Factory. Uh, Factory had gone bankrupt <laughs> principally because of uh, Sean Ryder of the Happy Mondays mm-hmm. who that story again is a whole podcast all of its own um, that the Happy Mondays were recording an album and they basically held the record label to ransom to release the tape so he could buy drugs and it went bust so thanks to Sean Ryder he killed Factory Records um, nice so when New Order finally got up and running again to make the last album from the first period which is Republic from 93 they were now on London Records so a new new record label um, and it was the first album um, produced by someone other than the band since Martin Annett which was it was produced by Stephen Haig he was a producer I really like he was most famous work for me possibly being his work for the Pet Shop Boys so it was given you know just give him something different to build on and I know it's an album that's not loved by a lot of people um, I actually think it's pretty good my feelings on Republic and I love Regret I love Regret World yeah. in a Day and, I know there's a few songs on there that's good and World yeah yeah, and I love the I regret agree. video as well that they were on the set of yeah. Baywatch, which yep. is just utterly ridiculous. And, and I can imagine that it's that kind of thing now. The fact that they, <laughs> the fact that they made a video with David Asselhoff, the <laughs> fact that they made a video where they were spoofing their metal bands and laughing at themselves, and yeah. that's the kind of thing Joy Division fans, Joy Division fans, just don't want that. They don't want to laugh. Nothing's funny. <laughs> I know it's all dark and I gloom. Hate, I, that's why they hate New Order. I swear it is. Um, and gloom. And that was the that was the last album in '93 before they broke up. Mm-hmm. first time for various reasons and then they came back in 98 which is the year i seen them when they came back mm-hmm. and started recording again on a run on a run of tours and albums up until 2007 which they broke up again and then mm-hmm. they regrouped again in 2011 and they're still playing today even though as quite a point it's only bernard some are kind of running the band on his own and stephen morris is still uh, uh contributing drums um Jillian's obviously julian concert and having a family and stuff yeah and peter just is off doing his own thing yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. He's just off doing, he's <laughs> doing is, tours but, but, but on his own. But playing New Order songs. Yes. And I think one of the most recent tours he did, because he did tour around here in Gloucester, he played the yeah. Guild Hall in Gloucester. And um, he, I think he played the whole of the Unknown Pleasures album. <laughs> and it was just a bit like, 
is it just like hey look at me type thing yeah I, I was in joy division remember me i was in joy division also were the other two were with you that was yeah, that, in joy it's division the, P- the peter hook show um, no i think that i think they all need just to come together jillian needs to you know come she's probably raised the kid by now <laughs> she needs to come out and have some fun and regroup just so i can see them one more time before i die <laughs> for the first time isn't it yes or, um, well i mean get together one more time okay. and so i can see them before yeah. i die does that sound better <laughs> that's better um so yeah so i mean for me personally i think they kind of peaked somewhere in the late 80s but i do like republic and i'll defend the album um, whether they still need to be going like you said the tours would be nice just to see them kind of send them off but um yeah 11 albums and all mm-hmm. they made as new order yeah compared to joy divisions 2 i can imagine the joke being that joy division 2 were brilliant <laughs> i can imagine that being the joke oh, you know? people just like are gonna praise up and down and you know they should it's cute it's good music but those that music wouldn't have been done without those without all of them to you know all the other three members of new order that wouldn't have been there you know what i mean that's, I know, I just always feel that need to say that. I, was like, I know, because guys. it just wouldn't have happened. It's a group that makes it, just like a team, that makes the, the goal, you know what I mean? Like, how, what do we say all the time? Like, you just, you wouldn't make it without the team. And there's no I in team. There's no I in team, and um, there's no, you know, I and E, and isn't, it wasn't the Ian show. It was yeah, all of them. <laughs> it just makes me mad, because it, I, I love both. I love all of, you know, New Order and Joy Division, but just, it should be a unity, not like, oh my god, it fuck New Order. Like, it's just, it's all Joy Division, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just, there it, it was no other. Well, you know, they had to move on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to point out as well, because it's something, <laughs> why you just rant on about that, because like, it it it's all, all very valid. Um, I just want to point out as well that some of the names that I kind of shouted out in the show for being very crucial to being part of the success of, of both the bands, um, obviously TV personality Tony Wilson, who uh, gave them their first kind of break on TV outset of Factory Records, died of an heart attack in 2007 at the age of 57. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob Gretton, who, I've, this guy's fantastic, honestly, the stories and everything, he's brilliant, um, mm-hmm. sadly passed away in 1999 at the age of 46 from a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And Martin Hannett, who famously produced the Joy Division records and the first New Order record, um, died at the age of 42 from an heart attack. So these are all people who died of an heart attack for various reasons, for health reasons, especially with Martin Hannett because they uh, had a really bad heroin addiction problem. Yeah. But, but, you know, like I said, it's just kind of sad that these people have kind of all passed away at such a youngish age. I just wanted to share that out because they kind of faces that featured in the story and I forgot to mention them ever again. Um, so, yeah, yeah sadly the end of those guys. But, I mean, Martin Hannett and his, his production work, whether Summoner and Hook were right, I don't know, but he produced some good music for a magazine. Yeah. Oh, I love magazines. <laughs> and Psychedelic First. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure he knew what he was doing behind the mixing desk. Of course. Despite what Hook and Summoner said. Yeah. No, they probably just wanted to go off and do their own thing. Maybe. You know, maybe they just had a, a vision. Because they are the artists, they had a vision of something different. When somebody else is telling you, no, no, we need this sound, you know, it's kind of hard, I think, for, for the artist to um, get on board, you know, not want to do what they want to do. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like an actor, I'm sure, was like really wants to do a role, and then they're manager's like no you shouldn't do that and then they kick themselves when that becomes number one you know what i mean yeah yeah so yeah sometimes you got to go with your gut and uh just veer off and do your thing because obviously when they broke off in their second album it was a hit yeah there you go and <laughs> you see hope has said and to kind of um just gonna finish things up here then yeah because you know i mm-hmm. mean i mean picking i mean because we're on the subject of music and mm-hmm. i just feel we're selling like 
I mean, you can tell the story of these bands, but I mean, I'm sure people listening would know this. So what we'll do to kind of give it its own flavour of me and you yeah. is, is sort of maybe pick some songs, songs that stand out for both groups. Both groups. Have you got um, a particular favourite Joy Division song? Uh, Shadow Play, maybe. Oh, yeah. A Means to an End is a good one. Off of Closer, I think that one was. Um, I th- there's a few of them. Atmosphere, of course, is dark. Yeah. That one's dark. Um, because they're one of the only free singles they released, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't think of anything right now, but there's a There's those kind of ones coming to you pretty yeah. quickly. What about New Order? Oh, God, there's too many. Uh, like I said, you know, it's funny because it always is always changing, but, you know, because Ceremony was like my thing back in high school. I was like, oh, I love Ceremony. It's such a good song. And then, you know, it goes on and then Steve's Like Us, which, you know, was one of it's the first fantastic. ones. Yeah. yeah, I love that song. Um, Everything's Gone Green, of course, is a great, a great track. I would have to say uh, Leave Me Alone, which kind of fits me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, know? okay. Well, there you go. Then she wants us to leave her alone. <laughs> Age of Consent, Leave Me yeah. Alone. Ni- from, from the same album. Yeah, from, 1963. Yeah, yeah, I think like that whole album. And um, the one song, is it, I always forget how to pronounce it, Elijah? Is that Which the is the elegant? instrumental. Yes. From Low Life. Yeah. Which was written as a tribute to Ian Curtis. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great song. And it did make a comeback in Stranger Things, I believe, like the first season. Oh, did they use it? Yeah, they used oh, okay. it in the first season. I was like, oh, they're playing New Order, you know, because it's New Order. And, <laughs> and, and also, because you'll be really sad if I end the show and don't tell you this, I'm surprised you haven't told me this. Didn't somebody famously wear a New Order t-shirt in a program? <laughs> How can I not plug my favorite show of all time 90210 but yeah david silver before he came he was really vanilla ice disguised as a new order fan (laughs) (laughs) sorry i had to squeeze that because i knew you'd be guessing if we didn't mention it i know because i told you i was like oh in the first season you know they were trying to push him as this hip you know teenager of the time and he wore his new order shirt and how many episodes have we watched and in the first season and he wore it faithfully and then you know he just busted out and became his vanilla I it was, yeah, it was almost like I can't wear this anymore. No, this is so not no. me. I need to come he out. He brought himself out. out. <laughs> he came out and he came out, you know, in the ice way that he was. Okay. I mean, to end that on a funny note there. Um, <laughs> I mean, to, to end this first music profile, um, mm-hmm. which it is what it is. I mean, whether you're a Joy Division fan or a New Order fan or, you know, if you're really sensible yeah. and you like both of them, <laughs> which you should, um, I hope that we've done maybe both bands a little bit of justice or just kind of brought back a few songs that you may have forgotten about or an album you may have forgotten about or even checked in a little bit of trivia you might not have known i hope that somewhere during this last hour there's something yeah and have love for both bands yeah that's what i'm saying yeah not just one but you should appreciate both because without the one there wouldn't be the other yeah you know what i mean completely so just love them as what they are and they're both equally good Unimportant. And important in music history, I think. Yeah. I think they lended a huge amount of um, tracks and music to the world in, in the time that they've been playing, even the two albums that they had. So. And the five or well, how many? Eleven. Eleven. Eleven albums. Jeez. They need to come back. Please come back. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, as of episode 24, Joy Division, New Order, that's pretty much it for us. If there's anything anyone would like to add or say or comment, please do. Yeah, you can join us on Facebook at Sound and Vision. Uh, we have two pages on there and we have an Instagram 
website. Yeah. So and we're pl- on Tumblr, you know, you can always join in the fun. So there's plenty of places to come and slag us off if you feel like it. Um, <laughs> Tell us we're wrong. Tell yeah. us you love someone more. Yeah. I don't care. Just come. Yeah, exactly. Know. Just come visit. <laughs> come <laughs> yeah. hang out with us. And on that note, until we meet again and discuss another great subject, um, this is Ian James saying goodbye. And this is Hope saying goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>